This right. is an eight iron and it's a dead shank. Wow. Way right. Oh, takes a, a hop off the path. You gotta be kidding me. Very tough pitch shot right here. You gotta hit it into the hill. One hop up and bite and it's in. Kind of like that. Well, I would like to welcome PGA Tour winner and European Tour winner, Freddie Jakobsen, to the Sub-70 Podcast. Freddie, thanks for taking the time today to uh, join us. I really, really appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much. My pleasure. Well, I know you're playing at the uh, Nationwide Children's Hospital Championship out in Columbus, Ohio. It's the start of the final uh, last three weeks for PGA Tour cards on the Corn Ferry Tour. How's your game feeling? How's the prep time going this week? And uh, how excited are you to kind of get these three weeks going? You know, it's, uh, I'm feeling pretty good. I've been over here the last three days uh, prepping a little bit. I Coming off a busy summer, I was playing five, five weeks in a row on the PGA Tour. Unfortunately, the fifth week in Kentucky, my back kind of blew out uh, on the Saturday. So finished the tournament, but went back and spent the last three weeks just taking my fifth year. And uh, uh, so just happy to be back on the course and really enjoying being up again so looking forward to these three weeks and hopefully the health starts to get check so I can give myself a chance. I think these next three weeks are, are very interesting even from like a golf span, fan's perspective. You have a, a really good mix of guys like yourself who are just proven tour winners, been out there forever and then you got these you know young and up and coming players also trying to get their you know their PGA Tour card um, but more than not, it seems like the guys with the PGA Tour experience do pretty darn well during these finals. Um, do you think that's that? That the is it ex- literally just experience, and you guys have seen everything, or is is it also the sense that you know for you to be out there as long as you've been out there, you're a hell of a good golfer, and the, and the quality of those guys coming off the PGA Tour are just generally slightly better than the guys on the Corn Ferry Tour if you're looking at it from sort of five or ten thousand feet. Yeah, I mean, I can't say I really know any of the stats on uh, who has come through and all that stuff, but I will say just in general, looking at the three events, that I'm kind of excited about the format instead of having, you know, the way it used to be just one week and having four or six rounds to play for it. I think probably all golfers and everybody that's playing well is probably feeling a lot better playing three weeks and it should benefit the guys in form and the, and the guys that play well. So I do think this system and, you know, all the guys are playing for, you know, real real tournaments and, you know, playing for a purse and all that stuff. So I think to the young guys as, as well, I think that's exciting, you know, and gives them a chance to both, you know, play, you know, play really well in one of the three events that might be enough and they have a chance to make some money, you know, but, hopefully making it to the PDA tour. You think it's a fairer test to do it over that three week period than just doing it in five days in a, you know, oh, no, sc- no, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. You, you think it does show the better player over that period of time. And, and you would rather have it that way than a shootout for five days. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a much fairer test. I think, yeah, I think it's a great way to do it over three weeks. You know, I think, yeah, I think it's a no brainer. You know, this, uh, this to me is much more appealing than, uh, Cutting out to play just the one at one shot, you know. So it should prove the better, you know, the you know the better form players, you know, over three weeks should definitely, you know, float to the top. So it should be a fair test. 
I know this year on the PGA Tour is, you know, not what you expected from performance-wise. Is it uh, injuries at, at this point in your career that can kind of get in the way of the amount of practice you can do and that sort of thing? Or, you know, what do you think it's going to take for you to kind of get maybe in the back, you know, top 50 in the world again where, you know, you've been for so long of such a good, consistent player? What, do you, what are you going to kind of focus on next year to kind of get back, you know, to that elite status player? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's always been number one is health. You know, so you're physically in good shape and and no pain, so you can practice and do all the work you need to do to to be at that level and give yourself the chance you want to give yourself consistently. Then uh, that that's the number one thing. Unfortunately, the last couple of years has been uh, kind of up and down when it comes to to the health for me with some back issues and then. Uh, nagging something where I had surgery so I was gone for a year and a half and I think you know I've lived a lot on my on my short game over the years as well and uh, and I think my ability to kind of give my everything each day so being away from competitive golf I've been that many times for three to six months and I've come back fine every time but I think being slightly older now and uh, being gone for a year and a half I definitely noticed it was a little trickier to get into to that to the same competitive feeling as well as uh, finding the touch on and around the greens and get get back to that level. So the first time I really felt like those things were coming together was this summer. Actually, here in that last uh, five week span, I felt uh, my focus and my short game and touch was getting back to you know the levels where I'd been before, and you know. It was really, I was really enjoying it, but I, you know, I got, I got to admit, it's, it's taken a lot of work this year to, to get to the point where I felt uh, really comfortable on the course again. It's interesting you say that. So, is there even a difference when you're practicing at home in Florida and you have a great round? Is there, is that one level of golf? And then, is there also doing it in front of thousands of people on the PGA Tour against the best guys in the world? Is it still at times? Do you just have to play? high-level tournament golf to be ready for that versus just, you know, practicing at home? Is it still sort of a rhythm that you have to kind of get in on the PGA Tour versus just, you know, quality of practicing when you're at your home club, for example? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think you do have to compete and, you know, get under the gun a little bit to sharpen things but uh, and get used to that. But, you know, I, I never really uh, – I don't mind that. You know, I've always kind of been a guy that even if I haven't played much and I've been injured and I've been gone, I, I'm not worried about throwing myself out there. I kind of like that because I feel, uh, you know, once I feel ready, I, I feel like that gives the true test and that gives me the chance to quickly figure out if there is something that kind of melts a little bit under pressure, you know, to, to, to know what I should go and work on whether it's mentally, you know, and sharpen the focus, whether it's the touch, uh, whether the swing doesn't quite hold up or, you know, so I kind of like to get back out there quick, but, you know, after a year and a half and if you haven't played much or practiced much because you're hurting, so, you know, it, it's a real lack of rounds and, and repetition, you know, so, but same thing there as soon as I felt like, you know, okay, I think my body can handle this, uh, I still jumped out because I, I'd rather get out there the conditions as well. We moved back to Sweden here, uh, you know, uh, this past year. Uh, conditions for practice, you know, especially winter time. you know, we got nothing. So, it's, you know, then my way is, is better to get out on tour, get back on the fast greens, get get that rough around the greens and stuff. 
beats uh, beats hitting balls indoors and into and, and nets, you know. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, also, I was going to ask you because it's kind of a hot topic this week where the seems like everybody in the golf media has talked about uh, the slow play and is it finally coming to a head? Uh, love to have your view on it. Do you, do you think it's you know a big issue? Is it not that big of an issue? Has it been slow forever? Is it getting slower? What's sort of your take on uh, your assessment of the pace of play? And then if you do think it's a problem, what's the easiest way to potentially fix it to, to get it moving a little bit quicker if you think it's you know something that needs to be addressed? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a tricky one. I, th- I think, you know, how it works on tour is, you know, a group gets timed, right? And you got a number of times you can get timed in a year, assuming you don't have, you know, you don't have a bad time when you're on the clock. And the thing is, everybody can speed up when we're on the clock. You know, n- nobody's going to be silly enough and take two minutes on a shot when, when they know they got a rules official there. So the question is, how, how do you get to it uh, to get them generally to speak up, uh, you know, or speed up? Uh, that's the whole thing, you know. I wonder, you know, if you've been timed a certain number of times in a year, if if you should fall into the category where it's only one guy getting timed or something, you know, because I, I know dice when you're out there and, you know, I might be slow for a day. Uh, take my time on certain shots or whatever, and get somebody else in trouble that that you know is is a quick player, and it's not really fair to him to end up on the clock just because I was slow a certain day, right? Uh, and you know what players play really fast, and they should never really be on the clock ever. And then it's some of us that are slower certain days, and then you have the guys that are consistently slow every single day, and. Uh, and a lot of the guys can feel, you know, it's, uh, you know, the nice guys, but it's kind of a nightmare to try to find your rhythm playing with some of these guys. And I think the, the biggest problem I see, you know, when I end up in those groups is if somebody doesn't start preparing until they stay shot, let's say you're hitting third into a group, you, you know, or into green, and you, you've had all that time to go through the yardage to win, you should just be ready to pull your club, do your practice swing and hit the shot. But, you know, you start fiddling around with your club at that point, haven't got anything ready, and you start from scratch. I think you fall, the group falls behind easily. The guys that play fast that are not used to being behind, they speed up even more trying to help out, but they don't really get any help from, from those guys. And I think those are the, the ones that I find the most annoying to play with when you don't see the effort, you know. If everybody helps out, even if somebody, you know, everybody's going to be a little different. Some guys are going to like to play fast, naturally. Some guys are going to be a little bit more deliberate. But I just think the common sense of helping each other out and kind of pulling your weight, if you do notice that somebody else is rushing to keep up or if you notice you fall behind, I think you've got to kind of maintain that common sense. And if you lose that along the way, I think you've got a big issue. And uh, I think you've got to find some kind of penalty for those guys that can't can't observe and kind of adapt to what's happening in the, in those situations. As a professional, we should be able to recognize when we fall behind and make a conscious effort. That's the Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of it, right, where it seems like, you know, just get your shot ready, get your yardage. So if, if you're playing and you're playing with another pro, it's just after you hit or vice versa, that person's just ready to pull the trigger. No different than playing, you know, a three-and-a-half-hour round at your home club, which doesn't feel rushed to me. 
it's always crazy to me at the best players in the world, you know, how can you be out there for, you know, five and a half hours? Like, it just seems kind of, yeah. but that's the, that's the norm. The other part is, you know, then what do you do in the situation where it was, you know, Jordan Spieth with Kuchar when it took him a half hour to play the hole when he won the Open on, you know, that final day on Sunday? I mean, do you, are you really going to penalize a guy, you know, in a major championship with, you know, eight holes to go or whatever hole he was on on that, even though it took a half hour? I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's going to be a, I think it's a really hard problem to actually try to solve equitably and how do you, yeah, how do, you do it? I think situational stuff like that, it's a one-off, it's a rolling, you got hills there, you can't see the line, you know, you got a, you got a lot of stuff there and there's a lot of things riding on it, you know, there's always exceptions, right? right? But if you consistently on every single shot, so that's one thing. You're going to have situations when the wind, when conditions affect the golf ball or you're going to call for a rolling or something is happening. You know that that's that's fine. What's going to happen to everybody? You, you want to make sure you do. Uh, but just the general stuff, I think, I think that's going to be the issue, like, you know, and uh, and the challenge. And everybody knows who is slow. You know, you, you see the draw, and you know you're going to be in for a tough one. And you know, you feel rushed already when when, you, when you're starting off the round. You know, or you know, you got tired of it and you play even slower yourself just so you can get on the get on the clock and you actually try to get on the clock because then everybody speeds it up and at least you have a chance to get into a rhythm. But that, that's, you know, that's the wrong way to go about it. That's where I think everybody's better off if you help each other out and everybody makes a conscious effort. You know? Yes, hear exactly what you're saying. Um, I was going to ask you how you started playing golf, you know, over in, in Sweden and, and growing up there and then how did that from, you know, starting golf getting on to the European tour, which you did at a you know, really young age, how did that transition go from just starting to playing to say, yes, I can do this at a professional level? Yeah, I, you know, I think we all, you know, a lot of the, we're a big sports country, so everybody plays sports, but golf wasn't that big of a sport over there until the 80s, and that's when I picked it up. You know, it was really kind of booming at that time, and uh, I got to try it through one of the hockey guys uh, where I played hockey. He, he played on the men's team there, and he was a golf coach uh, part-time. Uh, so he invited the family over for uh, for a lesson, and we all kind of just got hooked on it. And uh, I did, I, I've always loved being outdoors. So, you know, I played soccer and hockey and uh, table tennis at that time. But golf was kind of appealing to me, and we were some uh, really good, uh, good friends picking up the game together and, just played a lot in the summertime, you know, have those school breaks and play nice long, uh, bright days in Sweden in the summer. So we just hang at the course all day and having fun. When did you get at what age did you get good enough where you really thought, you know, I've, I've got a shot at being a successful trained professional and, and were you 20 years old when you made it onto the European tour? Is that correct? Yeah. I, I think, you know, at uh, 15, I kind of knew I wanted to be, I think that's when I kind of knew I'd be a golf, you know, pro golfer. Uh, so at, at that point, I made, made up my mind, you know, I always wanted to be a hockey player. But uh, so given that up, I was up to 13. So yeah, I think at 15, I felt like I got a good shot at golf. So I'm going to go for that. So 
yeah, around 15, and then finally got onto was fortunate to get onto the European Tour there. We had a bunch of experience. So that, was, that was fun. Is it was that transition of going from amateur to being a professional at 20 of learning how to travel and learning how to play in different areas and just basically learning how to be a professional? Did it take a little bit of time for you to sort of get the rhythm of that, or did it come fairly quickly of of you know essentially grasping the professional game at a high level? Yeah, no, I, I, it definitely took a bit of time for me. You know, I think, yeah, first of all, you know, this is back in the mid nineties, and uh, money in Europe wasn't big. You know, it's you know, it's, it wasn't easy to uh, first finance the season to travel around and. You know, you got pretty spoiled in the amateur ranks. The people organized the trips for you, booked the hotels and all that. You know, for any rookie playing any tour, every every place is a new place. Every country is a new country you haven't been to. You don't know your way around. So I found the first year was really difficult to know, you know, where are you going to stay? Where do you fly to? How do you get around? You know, all the courses are new. You know, you got to start working with a caddy. I never had a caddy ever as an amateur. You just pulled your own cart, you know, tried to figure out, uh, you know, how do I work with a caddy? You know, you run it as a business. How do I run a business? For me, you know, the, the, I think the feedback I brought back to, like, the Golf Federation and the Swedish Federation was, you know, to prepare young golfers a little bit more on kind of that business and planning and the aspect of preparing things, you know, because everybody's good, you know, they're good golfers if they can make it onto the European tour, you know, there's no doubt they can play golf, but there is, there's a lot of other stuff to it, you know, and maybe, maybe feel a little bit more prepared on that end. I think that took a little more time than I, you know, I hadn't really thought about that aspect before I got out there and just noticed there was a lot of new stuff. And that, that's one thing all these guys so obviously when you're a rookie on tour and all that so it's kind of important to get maybe an older guy that's been out there hopefully they know somebody that can help and you know and try to get a lot of those things sorted before the season starts so you're not trying to do it on the run yeah so like when uh justin thomas had uh you know jimmy johnson on the back like something like that that you love that combination of an experienced professional tour caddy helping a young really talented young player out that can be a great combination for that sort of scenario absolutely yeah I, I will, if, I, if i look back at it i would have definitely tried to hire you know an experienced caddy a, a lot earlier than i did and, and try to get somebody to lead my way a little bit in those first couple of years you know i think that's uh that's great that's a, that's a great uh great way to kick it off I've asked this question and I've had answers both ways, but did you ever have that moment when you're first out in that European tour and you're hitting range balls next to legend X, legend Y, or legend Z, and you almost just have to, you know, tell yourself, yes, I belong, you've earned your way out there, but holy cow, I am hitting balls next to Sam Torrance. I am hitting balls next to Ian Woosnam. Did you ever have one of those moments where it's pretty surreal? I'll tell you, it was kind of strange for me because uh, when I got on tour at 20, I'd never ever watched a golf tournament on TV in my life. So I barely knew any of the faces. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd followed a couple of tournaments, just the, the Swedish events like the Scandinavian Masters. I'd been there attending it. But, you know, it's kind of strange. Golf wasn't 
you know, it wasn't big. It wasn't a TV sport. We couldn't we couldn't follow the tour on TV back then. We only had like, you know, when I got interested, we might have had four guys playing on the European tour, and they weren't showing anything unless, you know, maybe one of the ladies won the you know when they won the U.S. Open, it would make it on to the sports broadcast, and they get like a one minute or thirty seconds on the sports, and that would be it. So. It wasn't a big TV sport, so you know I be, you know I got out there and I remember Floyd Montgomery walked up to me the first week I was playing in Dubai my first year. He was walking the course and came up and chatted a little bit and kind of said, "Great to see some new faces out there." And I wasn't even sure it was Colin Montgomery when he walked up, and I asked one of the other guys, that, "You know, that, was that Colin Montgomery?" <laughs> so you know, kind of embarrassing how little I knew about golf uh, really at that time, but I. I kind of just enjoyed playing it. I didn't really follow it at that point. Well, maybe it's a blessing in disguise too, right? In the sense that you didn't have that moment of, you know, hitting balls next to Monty and going, holy cow, I'm, I'm here. And, you know, does this, is the stage too big? Can I handle it? It sounds like you just kind of were out there, which kind of is not a bad mindset in the sense of, yeah, I belong. I'm out here. I'm going to play golf and I'm going to compete and we'll see where the chips fall versus getting lost in that a little bit. Maybe it's like I said, sort of a blessing in disguise that that never did happen and, Maybe you kind of made that transition into pro golf a little bit easier. Just, just. A- uh, I, I, I can also tell you, I didn't end up in those groups too often the first couple of years. So <laughs> I was, uh, I was either uh, done by Friday or probably packing it up pretty early on Sunday. So, uh, but after a few years, you know, I suddenly enjoyed playing with them. Once, uh, you know, once started playing a bit better and kind of getting them a little bit more established. Uh, you know, it was a lot of fun, and you know, the great guys, all those great, you know, like Sam, Sam Torrance that you mentioned, class act and fun to play with, and Monty and all those guys, you know, just uh, great, great characters. Yeah, absolutely. And this kind of leads into my next question, which is perfect: is you're kind of out there for a year, you know, a few years learning the ropes, and then that first win happens at the Omega Hong Kong Open in 2002, and. What what progressed in your game over that period to be you know a, a European Tour player to a European Tour winner? Yeah, I uh, you know it's kind of funny when it happened because I I played one year on the Challenge Tour and I think I had two or three seconds that year and then I had like six seconds on the European Tour before I won and uh, you know. A couple of them, you feel somebody did something special to win it. A couple of them, you feel like I could have done better. I should have won that one. But uh, I remember I had a chance just before that Hong Kong tournament, playing the last, uh, played the tour final. uh, And I played with Langer in the last round at Valderrama. And uh, I remember playing with him, and it was actually him and Monty in the end. At the end of the round, uh, they ended up tying it. And both of them won the final because of darkness. so, but playing with Langer and I saw how calm he was, and I know I know around the turn ten or eleven, I was it was really getting to me. It wasn't happening, and I was getting a bit frustrated. And I felt I'd been playing well, you know, for uh, it was going to be my last tournament of the year. And I, I felt everything was there, but I was just trying a little bit too hard. And I just saw how methodically Langer just got on with it and just kept staying with it, staying with it. And all of a sudden, you know, it's got the trophy, and I was, uh, I was kind of, damn, that was close, but it was just a little bit of patience missing, you know, to to have a chance to be right there with him. So, kind of, 
asked the team and, you know, they kind of said, let's go and play a couple more tournaments. Why don't you go to Asia, you know, and play Taiwan and Hong Kong before we call it, you know, and, uh, and, uh, it was, uh, and I kind of knew I was going to, you know, uh, it was kind of new to me. Taiwan, I'd never been there. Hong Kong, I'd never been there. So it was a long trip late in the year. I'm kind of feeling good about the game and I think Hong Kong, you know, kind of got the lead pretty early, I think, and kept playing well all week, feeling good about it. But I think I think the key was having that experience I had with Langer a few weeks earlier, coming down the stretch. That was really the key that made the difference. I felt really, really comfortable the whole way. Such a fresh memory of watching somebody do it. So you kind of take a lot from that moment. So that was the biggest thing. Obviously, winning itself it was a big relief, and I was very happy, you know, because you, you keep finishing second. You, you ask yourself, you know, how long is this going to take or am I ever going to win, you know, but it was cool to see it kind of take a little bit out of that experience with Langer and then get to have a chance back closely after and kind of be able to utilize what I saw. And then, yeah, yeah two more victories in the 2003 season. That has to be, I mean, validating that first one has to be really special. And kind of looking at those other two wins, is there anything that stands out that's, you know, pretty it's pretty special or incredible about having a two-win season on the European Tour? Yeah, uh, you know, uh, I think the second win was in Portugal. And uh, I'd gone down after that Hong Kong win, took the break, flew down, I think, to Australia. And I think I got hurt in the first round. <laughs> flew from Sweden to I got been over in Sweden and flew to Australia and made it for a couple of days and had to fly back. And I think I was out for a number of weeks. And I, Portugal was the comeback week. And uh, I'd just been down to Spain practicing for a week, kind of combined vacation practice, and just worked on my short game, saving my hand. And uh, I guess some, sometimes... I, it, you know, I've had some good results when I've just done short game for a week before and just focus on one thing, you know, and then feel pretty relaxed about it. And I, that's what happened in Portugal. I hadn't played for a while, felt excited about playing, been working hard on the short game for a week and uh, just, I guess, got myself in a situation where I had a chance to win the last day and, uh, and we came down the stretch and, you know, won that one. So, you know, it was good to get a second win that quick. And like you said, kind of feed a little bit of that momentum. And, and that kind of really kicked it into what I think is still my best year, my best coughing year, you know, with another win, a third win at the Volvo Masters. And then had a good run over here in the U.S. And then during that summertime, a couple of majors that went well. So kind of one thing led to another. But I think that comeback after that little injury early, you know, early in the year there, uh, Coming back to Portugal, that was the key. I was going to talk about your golf swing as well. Like you just have great hands, and to me, your your golf swing looks like somebody who's just being creative and hitting hitting golf shots. And it's it's what do you have to do to hit those different? You know, let's call there's nine shots in golf that kind of all the pros can hit. Is that sort of how you developed your golf swing? Where you know we're not going to do a paint by numbers. You're going to do the you know. Obviously, it's technically very sound where it needs to be sound, but it's definitely your swing, and I love it. I love it the fact that it's it's you know when you see that swing, you know it's Freddie Yock. When you when you were working and getting better and better, was that more of the goal of just the creativity and be able to hit the shots when you knew you had to hit the shots and 
feel that ability more than trying to see, you know, does it look absolutely flawless in every technical position on a, a computer screen? Yeah. I, I think it goes back a little bit to the, you know, what I mentioned earlier. I didn't watch golf, and I like I love to play golf. And, uh, you know, my buddy, John Edsworth, also played in Europe for a long time. Uh, we just played together every day. We like just loved every match. And the course where we played, it was, you know, kind of hanging out to the ocean, uh, seaside course out there. It would be windy. We were just, uh, you know, pretty small guys in the beginning, you know, trying to lash it into the wind, playing into the wind. I think you want to lean and, you know, just kind of loose shots. And I think it's a lot of that that got stuck in my swing. And I, I didn't really do a lot of, uh, swing lessons uh, for my first 10 years when I tried. I just thought it was actually a little bit more later when I was on tour when I noticed you know, I needed to tighten things up a little bit from the tee. The rough got thicker on tour. <laughs> right, right, right. So, yeah, but uh, no, so I, I think it comes more from playing, like you said, trying to hit different shots and stuff like that and not really trying to have a picture perfect swing out. I was never really too worried about this thing. I just tried to score, basically. Well, I, it's uh, it, it's kind of seeing some of these young guys come out with you know Matthew Wolf and stuff, and I I love it that these guys have their kind of distinctive swings, right? They don't all look, you know, built by no. uh, right ten steps to get to here. It's like I love when these guys come out and you can kind of recognize like that's his golf swing. He's just playing his natural way. It, yeah, it's technically sound, but yeah. it's their golf swings. I. I think that's a. I, I love seeing that, especially from these younger guys coming out and kind of having the creativity and just allowing, you know, the shot to sort of happen. And yeah, they tighten the stuff up when they need to tighten it. But yet, they're you know just because it works for Adam Scott doesn't necessarily it's going to work for Matthew Wolf in the same way. And I love it that their teachers are you know Genghis is just letting him kind of be athletic and do that move and never changing it. You know, um, I think it's just a cool thing to see for golf yeah. with the creativity of it. It's very interesting to me. Yeah, and it, you know. I gotta say, you know, you look at uh, a lot of the guys the Genghis coach, uh they got such a good flow through the ball. I gotta say I love how they get through the ball and uh, there's no stopping, they just get through and clear great and they're all synced up, you know, and it's powerful. So I think, you know, for me as a player, every time I feel I got good energy and I got good energy in the shots, then you can create shots. When, when the swing is off and you feel you don't have the hit or the energy, then you're going to struggle. It'd be a drag and a fight out there. But, uh, you know, you can tell all the guys there, they got good energy. And when you have that, you can work all the shots. You, you can hit the high ball. You can hit the shot shapes. You know, so I love how they got that free flow and they got the energy. That gives you a lot of options in the course. So they're doing great work it's fun to watch i absolutely agree with you i love the athleticism and the freedom in those kids swings that he's working with and i just like i said i think it's just a wonderful way to play golf i and like i said he seems to he really gets those guys at impact and through impact in such good technical positions from that standpoint it it just i mean he's he's really really good i think at at getting the most out of those students knowing that it's a power game but yet letting it be athletic and natural. And I love the motion those kids have through it as well. It's, it's going to be interesting how these guys, you know, how it, how it, they keep that's going. Think, that's think so. 
that syncs up well. Right. You know, right. you can tell that syncs up how they get to the finishing position. Absolutely. It's not like they get there and the club comes up uh, three thousandths of a seconds after, or uh, it's uh, it's all getting there uh, together in the end. You know, which that that's the key to repeat, isn't it? Being synced. I think they look great. Absolutely. Um, come over and play the PGA Tour in 2004. What what made you decide to make that move? And then when you came over, were you already exempt basically into a lot of the tournaments based on world rankings, or how did you then secure your PGA Tour card when you came over to the States to play your golf full-time? Yeah, no, that happened actually in that season, in those three seasons when I, while I was playing in Europe. I just flew over to play in the U.S. Open qualifier and uh, got into the U.S. Open and that had a good week there. Uh, you know, three and that got me in from the top ten, got me into the next week. And then, uh, you know, I got an invitation into the FedEx tournament in Memphis and uh, and then they had a top ten there and got me into the next week. And then I think at the British Open, I locked it up with another top ten. So from the U.S. Open to the British Open, I played uh, five tournaments I counted on the PDA all all thanks to basically heading over for a U.S. Open qualifier, and those five events got me enough points in 03 to then have a full status for 04. So, yeah, that's kind of how it happened. But, uh, you know, the reason for heading over, again, I always wanted to, you know, I, I played Europe for a number of years, and, you know, my, my goal was to, as a kid, because I didn't even know about the PGA Tour, was you know I'd seen a few guys in Sweden made it to the European Tour, but uh, you know once I played there for a few years, I kind of felt like I wanted to have yet another thing, another thing to look forward to, you know, and try challenge myself to get to play even tougher competition, get to see new courses and new you know gain new experiences. So that's when I started. You know, the seeds kind of got planted about. Trying, trying the U.S. I, I was over in 2000 actually and played the Q school and got pretty close there, missed by shots, I think, in the end uh, in 2000. And then just in 03, was ready to go back again and give it another shot. So that, that was the path to the U.S. for me. And then the win at the Travelers in 2011. Um, how, how's winning on the PGA Tour? Does it does it change your life at some level uh, when you when you're winning at at on arguably the for the most money the biggest tour in the world and has to be one hell of a feeling to get that W on that platform and that stage. No doubt. I mean, we we all want to win, and uh, you know, and I think especially when you're being close, I kind of ended up in a similar situation to Europe. You know, I'd had a number of second places and. You know that's not fun after a while because you you know you keep playing. You always you know want to want to have at least that one week when you you know you, you get you get to win the event and you know and have have your week. So, uh, but pressure builds when you've had a number of seconds. I mean, you just keep feeling. I, I hadn't really had a chance in the U.S. where I'd had a lead coming into Sunday. This I I felt like. I still had to give myself that real good chance to really give myself a realistic chance. And uh, I think at the Travelers was the first time I, I came in with a lead to Sunday and I had a one-stroke lead. Uh, and uh, it was just great to finally get that position. And, and my game was, you know, it was kicking that week and hitting the ball really, 
really nice and clean and straight. So felt in good control and uh, it was nice to get it done. But, uh, you know, obviously, you know, it gets you into a bunch of nice events. You, you, you get to win and, and um, you know, you get a little bit of, uh, of a breather too. When you don't win, you, you know, you know how it works on tour. You, you got to finish top 125 every year, keep your job. You get a little bit of uh, a breather on that end, and you can just focus on playing a schedule you like, and you know, no rush with anything, and just uh, you know, the wind gets you into the big events. And world ranking is probably pretty good for most guys to win, and you know, you get to play the majors and all that stuff. So you know, got, got into a bunch of fun stuff there over the next couple of years following that. Also, going to ask you about your equipment. I, you know, you know, we all know you're a Callaway staff player, and. When you go to look for potentially making a change in equipment, how do you go about evaluating what you might look at, and how long does that process sort of take for you to change a ball or to change a driver or to change a wedge or iron, anything like that, when you're kind of working with the guys at Callaway to to get the stuff in your bag and kind of maybe potentially give you a little bit more performance than you currently have, but yet you don't want to make a switch where, you know, you might be losing a little something to get something. So how does that sort of process work? For you, I should ask. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, normally I would go about it in the in the off season. You know, over the last couple of years, it's been a little tricky because uh, you know I haven't really had a chance to practice that much in the off season. So uh, I've had uh, I've had uh, my iron changed this season, uh, changed to a new iron, uh, and I changed uh, when I came over and got back into. It. Last fall, we got into the Callaway ball, uh, and you know, normally if I test something, you know, because I'm not one that want to be hitting uh, hitting balls for two three hours at the tournament, and you know, stand there and pound drivers for to test too much. I'd rather do that at home. So, but you know, if I notice something is giving me results quickly, you know, I'm not one to hesitate to give it a shot either so the golf ball I, I really love that and you know just switched right over I was out testing it and played nine holes with it and it was going further and it was performing better so uh, you know I shifted over to that golf ball immediately and then uh, the irons or if I you know changed a new head and went to a slightly different shaft so you know that couple just trying to get the ball to land a little softer for me so you know uh, it'd be certain things to be looking for, but uh, you know, when it comes to the driver, I play a slightly longer driver than standard, just to gain a little clubhead speed and get a little more distance out of it. So, a little bit trickier for me to uh, to change a driver and maybe somebody playing standard lens because you know the weight of the head, it can't weigh too much when you play longer shaft, or the swing weight's going to get really heavy. So, then it depends how much you can fill it and stuff like that. And, what sound it will have, or you know how it affects. So when I find find a good one there, I you know I hang on to it. Uh, I tend to hang on to my drivers a little bit longer, probably than most guys. Uh, but uh, wedges, you know, work with Callaway as soon as the grooves are a little worn, or you know, uh, maybe like earlier in the year, I put in a new 64 degree wedge, uh, added one wedge, and took away like one of my long irons. So Stuff like that, you work with the team. You know, Callaway's got, you know, some really good guys out there to, to help out week to week. So 
something comes up or conditions change, you know, you, you can you can get quick access to, to working on it. How long is the driver in your bag? How many inches is it that you're playing? Uh, mine is 47. Holy cow. Yeah, that is long for a touring pro. Do you notice you get maybe another five or six miles an hour club head speed with that and that that that's why you're going with yeah. the length of a club? Exactly. And I got kind of shortish arms uh, and uh, I feel, you know, actually with the driver, I feel, uh, you know, I tend to get a little steep, if anything, in my swing on the way down. So it kind of helps me shallow a little bit. You know, a lot of guys sit it nice and shallow and high anyway, but a longer shaft kind of helps me get the ball up a little bit more in the air as well. So I gain some carry, which, you know, you want to have a little bit of height and carry to maybe clear clear some bunkers and cut some cut some corners in places. So it's been good for me. I've kind of done it since probably 20, 2010 or something, probably for a good eight, nine years. So been 46 to 47 inches through that period. So kind of a way to at least close a little bit of that gap everybody hits it so far these days so it's kind of been a way for me to kind of stay closer to average anyway you know i'm never going to be a bomber too much either yeah no if you can get yeah if it can get away with it makes complete logical sense to me of getting a little extra horsepower and if it doesn't feel too long use the physics to your advantage right i mean makes yeah i don't feel i don't feel like i give up any accuracy which is a good thing so no, it makes yeah. If you yeah, you can get a little more horsepower. Like I said, out uh, at the PGA Tour with the, the the game that's played out there anymore. If you can keep up with the guys and it doesn't affect accuracy, by all means, right? Get out there and bomb the thing. Makes makes sense to me where you're going with it. Um, I was going to ask yeah. you about business too. I have enjoyed your beers that you guys have uh, uh, put out there with the Golf Brewing Company down at Grand McDowell's restaurant in Florida a few times at uh, uh, in Orlando and question about that is how did you guys come up with that concept with keegan and, and you and graham doing the beer and, and how much have you enjoyed being on the business side of some stuff as well yeah you know it, it was a really fun project i think it was a friend of mine a swedish guy that came up with the idea and uh, you know we got uh, graham and keegan involved you know it was a matter of having a couple of guys that love a beer and you know come from countries uh, and places that uh, appreciate good beer as well like the northeast here and you know ireland obviously so i I think everybody enjoyed it a lot you know it's obviously a competitive marketplace but uh it was fun working with brewmaster and being part of it and from the whole process uh, i truly enjoyed it and and learned a lot from it so you know it's fun and you know i think it came out well and the beers tasted good and uh yeah, it was kind of a fun, fun project. Yeah, and it makes sense, right? I mean, how many golfers are going to have a couple beers after the the round, and to have you guys, you know, with your guys' brand recognition of, of of names, it makes like to me, it makes like a perfect, you know, symmetry to bring out the beer with those, you know, with the tour players. And I just thought it was a really great concept. And yes, and by the way, the beer was actually very good. I actually, all three of them were really good. So that was a very cool concept to go with. Um, Got some quick hitters here, and uh, we'll get you out of here and get you back to practicing or whatever you're you're doing this Wednesday. Uh, and tell me if I'm wrong on this, but is it you and Matt Kuchar probably the best two ping pong players on tour? And my question is, have you ever got to play Kuchar? I played Kuchar uh, quickly at the players uh, after one of the rounds. There, we we played up there, and Kuchar is a good player, and. Uh, 
I would say Faxon is a very good player uh, as well. So Kucher and Faxon is the two best I played uh, played on tour. Uh, I, I would think that Faxon is probably a little bit better than Kucher. At least if at least that's what Fax says when I ask him. Did you did you beat Cooch when you played him? I, I did beat Cooch and uh, and Fax and I had a good rally too, and uh, I got I got him too. But I Fax used to play. I think Fax was ranked number two in Rhode Island, a small state, but still he was a competitive player growing up, and I used to compete. And I think Coacher is very impressive for you know. I think he's more of a tennis player. He's got more that. Uh, Style, but he's got great hand-eye coordination. He's a very, very good player, and uh, I think he just loves playing. And you know, it's impressive that somebody plays that well. That actually, you know, he's just played table tennis for fun. You know, so he's a good competitor. What other hobbies do you enjoy when you're away from golf? Uh, you know, besides family and being at home with wife and kids, is there anything else that you really enjoy doing when you kind of shut it down for a little bit and try to relax when you're back at home? Well, I think my three favorite things in Sweden, I love boating in the summer. And then, uh, you know, for vacations, the two favorites, uh, hands down, is surfing and uh, skiing. I love surfing and skiing. So, you know... Just planning a vacation trip here for the fall for the family for uh, to head over to Costa Rica and go surfing probably for ten days and then uh, we probably after New Year's we we'll probably do our annual ski trip down to the Alps again. So love skiing. I try to sneak off maybe one one or two more extra times on on my own or with uh, Eric and my wife and uh, get a few more ski days in. I just love it. Love the mountains. Favorite two or three golf courses you've ever gotten to play in? What makes them so great from an architectural standpoint? Uh, I, I love Lynx golf. So, I mean, uh, a lot of those uh, British courses I've enjoyed through the years. But uh, I also love the scenery. The You know, the thing I miss sometimes with them is you can't see the ocean from there. But, uh, you know, place like, uh, love playing Pebble, Cy- Cypress Point beautiful you know right up there uh augusta special and i think uh out of the core other courses uh you know in for inland courses that i love the scenery and the course and how it plays is Newfield village uh, here in ohio as well is just a beautiful beautiful course and i think it's always in great conditions so you know there there is a number of them but uh there's so many, and you know, Ballybanion over in uh, in Ireland, phenomenal. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of them. I love St Andrews. You know, Kings Barns is a beautiful course. You know, maybe not the toughest links course, but great scenery and course to play. And it's a lot of them. But uh, the British Isles and the you know the West Coast in the U.S. Uh, you know, that's probably my favorite areas. Did you fall in love with St. Andrews the first time you played it? Or I've talked to a lot of the guys where they at first they're kind of like, yeah, and then they kind of fall in love with it a little bit over time as they learn the course a little better. Uh, I hated it. I got stuck in a bunker on the second hole, man. In 93, I think the European, um, the European amateur event or St. Andrews next trophy. I think I had like three shots to get out on the second hole. I don't know what the heck is this. But uh, not more and more. Like a lot of people say, I, you know, 
I just feel appreciated more and more every time I go there. So, you know, you learn every time and where to aim and how to play it. So I think that one takes a lot, you know, and the weather varies so much too and the wind so so different every time. But it, it plays great, you know. I, I just enjoy it more and more. Best golf shot you ever hit under pressure? Wow, that's a good question. Best golf shot under pressure. Uh, you know what? I think it's the Valderrama when I, they gave me the field of the year for the shot on eight. Uh, so I'm just on that 17 hole here on the lake here. I spun it back into the lake. I was leading the tournament. And the spine pack made a double. And the, the guy in second place made a birdie. So I went from a one-shot lead to two shots down coming into the last. And he hit it into the case a little bit on the right. And I uh, took a three to find the fairway. And I had like nine iron left, I think, nine or eight iron. And I hit it up to like a foot from the hole. He got back and put some pressure. So he made bogey and he kept me in it. And he eventually went to the tournament. So I got to, I got to say that one. Because it would say it would have been such a hard price to lose it after that seventeenth hole. Test. Last one I got for you. What do you miss most about live? Uh, you know, not living in the U.S. or in Florida at this point. Is, is there a certain part of America that uh, that you you know absolutely loved? And I know it's got to be great living in Sweden, but you still love that part about being in the states. Yeah, I mean, I guess when I come back, every time I drive into the Midwest, you know, just the very peaceful, you know, a lot of nature, wildlife. Just loved spending 15 years there. I think you know the U.S. to me, and every time I come back, I always appreciate, uh, you know, the the attitude that people have and the positive, you know, how positive people are. And uh, I think. I think it's a very, very good attitude, and I think it's contagious. You know, so I always enjoy myself to come back to the U.S. And uh, you know, obviously, all our kids were born in Florida, so uh, we'll always have a strong bond and uh, always come back to Florida. So, you know, loving the ocean. We, you know, we're close to the ocean there. Go down, surf a little, be on the beach. Uh, Weather, I do miss the weather in the winter. You know, I, 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 I'm having a hard time with the winters in Sweden. Honestly, I, I gotta, I take some trips to get out of there because it's been 25 years, I think, since I really had a full winter there. So I'm not planning to do any full, full winters anytime soon there. <laughs> it can just get chilly. So yeah, good time to visit Florida. You know, and, and or head back out on tour and uh, and go out and play and be in the nice weather. So that's a lot of things, a lot of lot of good memories. Well, best of luck in the uh, next three weeks coming up. We'll be watching. Uh, you know, play well, and uh, you know it should be an interesting thing to watch. The like I said, it's a it's fascinating to watch these tour veterans who have been out there and the young guys coming up and and kind of seeing what happens when that gets mixed together. But best of luck with everything. Play well, and uh, thank you again for your time today. I really, really appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much, Ben. Appreciate it.